Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. I'm feeling so much better. Thank you, everybody who reached out to me last week. Let me know you're praying for me. Got a lot of my energy back, so I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, Before we jump into the message, I just want to remind you of a couple big things that are coming up here at River Rock Bible Church. We've been in a series called Life Unlimited for a couple weeks now, and we're going to continue that series this morning. We'll be in this series again next week, and then on March 20th, we're going to one service. It's going to be at 10 a.m., and that's going to be our Celebration Sunday. So we're going to come together, and we're going to celebrate everything that God has done over the past nine weeks as we as a church have gone through Financial Peace University. Seventy-eight adults from River Rock Bible Church have participated in Financial Peace University. And we started, we saw the number a couple weeks ago, we started as individual families with $1.8 million, almost $1.9 million in consumer debt. And when we come together on the 20th, we're going to celebrate. Uh, it's been our goal to pay off as much of that as we can over these nine weeks. And we're going to celebrate everything that God has done, not just the paying off of debt, but all the stories of how God has worked in and through our lives as we discover how to handle money in a way that honors God. So you won't want to miss that Sunday. We're going to worship together at 10 a.m. Following the service, we're going to have a meal together. It's going to be great. It'll be uh, an amazing Sunday morning. So don't want to miss the 20th. The following Sunday is Easter. Easter, and if you will look inside of your bulletin right now, you'll find a little invitation. It's got a nice little picture on there. We're going to be starting a brand new series on Easter Sunday on the family. And uh, I just want you to stop for a second right now and think through who you might give that invitation to. And not just who are you going to invite, but who are you going to bring with you on Easter Sunday? And I know we're starting a series on the family, and that does, that's not the resurrection, like how can you not preach the resurrection on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday? Well, I promise you, we will talk about the resurrection, and we're going to see on Sunday morning how the resurrection actually impacts our families, and then we're going to continue that series looking at husbands and wives and our kids. So think through, who can I bring, who will I bring on Easter Sunday? Think through your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Those who may not regularly go to church, maybe they don't have a church home, maybe they've never been to church. But think through who you might bring with you, that they could hear the story of Jesus Christ told and how, how his life, death, and resurrection impacts us and our families even today. Uh, the other thing that I would throw out there to you on Easter, the week of Easter, that Wednesday is the 76th Easter pageant at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Our youth pastor, Quentin Payton, is going to be portraying Jesus this year. Now, my wife and I had the privilege of being a part of Easter pageant when we were at Mary Hardin Baylor, and I've got to tell you, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Production is done completely by the students, and it it tells the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It tells that story, and it presents it in a way that you can see it and understand it. So I'd encourage you, man, uh, if you know Quentin, if you've got kids in the student ministry, do whatever you have to do to get down there. There's three show times. Quentin can tell you exactly when those are. I think it's 12.30, 2.30, and 5.30. Um, but if you have questions about that, I'd ask Quentin on, on uh, those questions. But I'd encourage you, man, this is a great opportunity. Some of those friends that may say, no, I'm not going to church, they may go with you up to Belton. It's about 30 minutes. And uh, go and watch this pageant that's put on there and see for themselves, what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ look like. And they'll hear it explained to them. 
in a way that they've never heard it before. So I'd encourage you to be thinking through all those things. It's a very exciting time here at River Rock Bible Church. As I said, we're in a series called Life Unlimited. We started this series a few weeks ago looking at contentment and God's desire for us to find contentment not in our stuff, but in Him and in the person of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins. Right, and, and God's desire is for us to be able to say, hey, whether I've got a lot or a little, I know what it means to be content because Jesus Christ has died for my sins. Right, and so I have everything that I need. And then last week, we looked at saving, and we, we found this very profound truth that most of us probably know intuitively, which is wise people save money. And we, we looked at the scripture, and we saw from scripture that life happens to everyone. Life happens to everyone. Every single one of us is going to have some sort of, of medical emergency or the kids get sick or, uh, you know, the car breaks down. We have an accident. The car gets broken and we need money. And if we're wise, then we recognize that, hey, life is going to happen. I need to be saving for when those emergencies come because we may have an emergency, but there's no need for it to catch us by surprise. We shouldn't be surprised when somebody gets sick. We shouldn't be surprised when the car breaks down or the roof leaks, because life happens. And so if we're wise, then we're going to set aside some of our money. And part of that is recognizing this whole series, Life Unlimited, has been about recognizing that when we're financially free, that we can do the things that God calls us to do when he calls us to do them. And we can't do that if we're tied to Sally Mae or Visa or MasterCard. And so this whole series has been about us being free to follow God, that we could live our lives unlimited for the kingdom, that we could do more things for God and for his kingdom. And this morning, as we dive in, I just want you to think about the past maybe 10 years. Think about the past 10 years, and over the past 10 years, we've seen a lot, and I mean a lot, of businesses close down. Sometimes this is because of fraud, that the people who are managing the money, there's some shady business deals, and the people managing the money are out to get the consumer, and unfortunately, a lot of times, they take advantage of their very own employees, like Enron, right? Anybody remember that? Uh, That hit pretty close to home. My uncle was uh, employed there, and that hit him pretty hard. So I I know what that's like. And other times, you know, it's not just fraud, but sometimes businesses close down just because of bad money management. People aren't keeping books in a way that allows them to continue going forward. And so these businesses close down. And it's a really sad thing. Now, what I want us to think about this morning is I want you to imagine a $2 million business. $2 million business. How long is that business going to be successful if the CFO or whoever manages the money, the bookkeepers, never did a budget? It's not going to make it, right? Can we all agree on that, that that business is not going to make it if they never did a budget? So then why is it then when we come to our personal lives, when we come to our family life, that we think we'll be okay if we don't do a budget? What you have to realize is that the average American family over our working lifetime, we will see $2 million flow through our hands, right? And I use that word flow for a reason because money is fluid. It comes and it goes, amen, right? We've all been there. Money is fluid. That's why they call it current C. 
Where's our drummer? I need a little rim shot back here. Currency, right? It flows through your fingers. It comes and it goes. Well, $2 million over the course of your working life, about 40 years, $2 million will flow through your hands. Some a little bit more, some maybe a little bit less. Now, what I want you to do for a second is just imagine that you are a business owner. And you're the business owner for you, Inc., you incorporated. Now, think for a second. If you were to come to your bookkeeper and your bookkeeper managed the money for you, Inc., the way that you manage money for your household, would you fire you? Think about that. If you're the owner of a business and your money manager managed money, your CFO managed money for your company the way you manage money for your household, would you fire you? I think most of us would say, yeah. I wouldn't want someone to manage my money that way. And what we have to realize is that we're, what we're talking about here comes down to a matter of ownership and management. Management versus ownership. There's an owner and there's a manager. And one of the things that we've got to realize is that we are not the owner. Can you guess who the owner is? God. Yeah, Sunday school answered. God, Jesus, Moses. One of those three's got to be right, right? God is the owner of everything. God owns it all. That's the title this morning. But God is the owner, and we are the managers. We are the managers. And for some of us, that's really hard to hear. That's really hard to hear, and it makes us uncomfortable to think in those terms. But that is the reality. Psalm 24.1 says this. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Right, so do me a favor, stand up for a minute. Stand up, I want to ask you one question. How many of you own a pair of blue jeans, right? Stay standing up if you own a pair of blue jeans. All right, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How many of you own a pair of blue jeans? Stay standing if you own a pair of blue jeans. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, right? We get it, right? I, it is something, I know that's silly. I used to do that when I was a youth pastor, but it brings home the point. Like, oh yeah, I don't really own those. They belong to God because he owns everything in the world and everything in it. Psalm 50 says it this way. Every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I've got news for you. Uh, God owns the hills too. He doesn't just own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills what we have to recognize is God is the owner. Can we say that together? God is the owner. Who's the owner? Who's the manager? Me. We are. Yeah, exactly. We are the managers. This isn't, and a lot of us find ourselves, like I said, you're getting uncomfortable. You're thinking, well, this isn't God's money in my wallet. I'm sitting on my money. This is my money because I earned it. Let me tell you, it's a very short leap from I earned it to I deserve it, and that sense of entitlement, that I worked for this, to entitlement of I deserve this. I deserve this. That's a very short leap, but what we see when we look at Scripture is that God owns it all, that we are simply his managers. And that feeling that you're feeling right now, that kind of tightness of, man, I don't, I don't know about this. I, I, I work 60 hours a week for the money that's in my wallet, in my bank account, I feel like it's mine. Well, don't worry, because that's not the first time God has heard this. You're not the first person to experience this. In fact, we have a great story in Deuteronomy chapter 8 of the people of Israel. 
God knows that this is something that's going to come up, and he, he starts to, to address it before it's even really come up. If you remember the story of the nation of Israel, we read about Joseph last week. They're in Egypt, and Joseph is very prosperous. His family comes and lives with him down there. They have lots and lots of baby, babies. Soon, they're over a million people, and a new pharaoh, a new king in Egypt rises up, and it says, Scripture says there, there came a king that did not know Joseph or the Lord. And so they put the Israelites into slavery. For 400 years, they live in slavery, and the people of God cry out to him, God, save us. And finally, one day, God raises up Moses. And Moses comes and leads God's people out of Egypt into the desert. And while they're there in the desert, things get pretty rough for a little while, and they forget what life was like. Things get so bad that some of them say, hey, let's just go back to Egypt. Life was better when we were slaves. And so God says, hey, um, just because you guys are so unfaithful, because you don't believe in me, this generation doesn't get to see the promised land. And so they wander around the desert for 40 years until that entire generation dies off. And that brings us to Deuteronomy, a brand new generation, right? So, so the previous generation was the generation that was there with Moses, Mount Sinai, the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? Charlton Heston comes down. You know, and he's got the Ten Commandments like this, and, you know, the movie ends. It's one of my favorite parts of Easter, by the way, the Ten Commandments. Love that movie. Uh, But we know how the story goes, and then they're about to enter the promised land, and God says, hey, Moses, you want to remind the people of what I gave to their parents. Remind them of the law. So we have Deuteronomy, second law. He's giving the law a second time, and he's reminding them of all the stuff that God has done for them. And we're going to start in chapter 8, verse 10. Chapter 8, verse 10 says, When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, there's a command that I think most of us could follow, right? Eat and be full. Eat and be satisfied is what some translations say. That'd be a great Thanksgiving sermon, right? Most of us are like, hey, let's just stop right there. That's a command I can follow this week. Eat and be full. Let's go home. No, he says, eat and be full. You will praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the first thing he wants us to see is that this passage starts with a great piece of advice that we're to be satisfied, we're to be content, we're to be fulfilled whenever we eat, whenever we experience something in our lives. And I think most of us, we often stop and we thank God for the food, right? We bless our food, we teach our kids to bless their food. We pray and we give thanks to God for our food. But how many of us stop on the 15th and the 30th or the 1st and the 15th whenever you get paid and thank God for that paycheck that was sent directly into your bank account? Or you pick up that physical check and you take it to the bank. How many of you stop and thank God that he has provided that money for you? Probably not many of us. But we have to recognize that God is the one who has given us that. He goes on in verse 11. He says, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command and ordinance and statutes I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart does not become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now here is where most of us get into trouble. This is where a lot of us get into trouble because it's often easier for us to praise God when things aren't going so well. 
and we forget God when things start to go well. When things get tough and we have a death in the family or something bad happens, we lose our job, uh, something happens to someone around us, and we find ourselves in a desperate situation, it's very easy for us at times to turn to God and say, God, I need you. And we sing that song, I need you, every hour with much more passion in those moments. Much more than when we get the new car or the new house or the new job or the raise. Those moments where things are going really well, it's often much more difficult for us to recognize that we need God. And so Moses says, remember. Remember that it's God who has made you prosperous. Remember that you don't deserve these things. All of these things have come to you because God has given them to you. It wasn't because we worked for it. It wasn't because we earned it. It was because God has blessed us with these things. Going on, he says this, He led you through a great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint-like rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. He might cause you to prosper. Man, going back to verse 14, he says, Be careful that your heart does not become proud and forget the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then he goes on to describe all of the stuff that God has brought them through. And I think this is, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part, verse 14, to not let our hearts be proud. To not let our hearts be proud. That is something personally I've struggled with most of my life. But it's difficult at times. But let's listen to the Proverbs and see what God has to say about pride. How does God feel about pride? The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. All right, so what's about to happen is they're going to lay out six things that God really, really dislikes. And then the seventh thing is the absolute pinnacle of what he hates the most. And this is what he says. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plods wicked schemes, feet evil to, uh, eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. And those first few things all tend to revolve, in my opinion, around pride. The very first thing that he names that God hates is pride. And it sits deep inside of each and every single one of us, and we've got to fight all the time to get over our pride, because God absolutely hates it. God hates our pride. God hates our pride. Whatever sin, think of the worst sin that you can think of. Think about that, right? Most of us have something else come in mind, and probably the last thing we want to deal with is our very own pride, that, hey, I did this, God. I earned this. I deserve this. This is mine. And God says, no, remember all the things that I brought you through. Remember everything that I have done for you. And then he goes on in those verses, in those, that, those two verses where he's describing everything he brought them through, really drive home the point as Moses recounts all of God's miracles through their journey in the desert. The overriding theme of these two verses is very clear, is that God did it. God did it. God brought them through the desert. God brought them through. Remember, there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led them 
and showed them where to go, that took them to where the water was, that, that God provided Moses. Through Moses, he said, hey, speak to the rock, and water comes flowing out of the rock enough that all the people and their animals were able to get, have water. God did this. God did it. Verse 17, he says, You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. Remember, he says, you will say to yourself that I did this. Pride. On my own ability. On my own power. And some of us out there are thinking, hey, you said this is God's money in my wallet. You said this is God's money in my bank account. No, I went to college. I worked hard. I got my master's degree. I went into the business field. I went into sales and I went door to door. I made all those sales. I did that. Who gave you the brain to be able to get into college in the first place? Right? Who created your body? Who created your physical body to have the abilities that you have? It wasn't you. Who gave you the initiative and the creativity to go out and pursue that business deal? It was God. God has given you all those things. Most of us think, hey, look what I did, but... Verse 18 is the antidote for, for the sickness of pride. It says, remember that the Lord, your, uh, the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant. He swore to your fathers as it is today. The Lord your God, remember, remember. He says that over and over again in this passage. You know, I, I think it's interesting that, that he starts out with a passive. He says, don't forget, right, because forgetting is passive. We don't have to actively forget. I could have put an algebra problem up here, and I'm pretty sure the youth aren't in here right now, so I'm pretty sure none of us would have gotten it right. We would have looked at it like a monkey with a typewriter, right? We would not even know where to begin. Why? We all took algebra in high school, but we forgot. We forgot. The ninth graders, the youth that are, that are in the other room, They would all remember because they just took it. It's fresh in their minds, but we forgot. And none of us had to sit down and say, okay, I need to make room in my head. Forget algebra. You know, and it goes to the recycle bin in our brain. No, we didn't have to actively forget. We just forgot. I forget lots of things. I forget where my keys are. I forget where my sunglasses are. I forget algebra. That's why I became a pastor. So I wouldn't have to do algebra. It's easy to forget. It's hard to remember. We have to work hard to remember. And let me say this, that I think God has given us some commands and some instruction in Scripture to help us remember. Passages like this where he says, hey, remember, take time. The Sabbath, that one day a week that we would set aside time to just remember all that God has done for us, that we would get away from our cell phones, our our computers, our tablets, uh, our TVs for one day, We wouldn't work, we wouldn't do homework, we would just sit and we would remember the Lord. The other thing I think he's built in for us to remember him is the tithe, right? Now, let me me just say this, this series is not about you giving more, but I do believe that tithing is a biblical principle. Setting aside the first 10% that God has given you and saying, Lord, this is all yours and I'm giving this portion back to you. I'm setting aside my first fruits because it's yours anyways. And I'm going to manage the rest the way that you want me to manage it. And I believe that he does that. He says, hey, bring me the first fruits into the storehouse. Bring me that first 10%. 
Because that helps us to remember, oh yeah, this isn't mine. This is God who gave it to me, and I'm going to give it back to him. And I do believe that that your tithe ought to go to your local church. Your first 10% ought to go to your local church. It's not a legalistic thing. I just believe that's that's a great starting point. And some of you may disagree, and you may say, I'm going to do 5%. That's fine. There's no legalism here. Personally, I stick with the first 10% goes to the local church. And let me say this. If you cannot give to River Rock Bible Church for whatever reason, you don't like me, you think I'm a jerk, that's okay, you're not the first, you probably won't be the last. Um, If you don't like the programs, you don't like the music, for whatever reason, if you can't give to River Rock Bible Church, go to another church that you do like, that you can support and give there. This is not about what we want from you. This is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. See the difference? God doesn't want anything from you. He wants this for you. To be able to recognize that he is in control. He is the owner. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we handle our money when we recognize that God is in control. And we have to recognize that God is in control. We have to recognize that we are the managers. And we have to be good managers of what he's given us, everything he's given us. We've got to learn to manage it well. And, and I just talked about the tithe, and I talked about remembering God. Uh, and and here's, here's why that's so important is because if we're bad managers, we can't give. Bad managers can't give. Let's go back to the scenario where you're the CFO of You, Inc., Imagine the CEO comes to your corporation and he says, hey, I want you to allocate this money over here. We need to go acquire this piece of land. I need you to put money over there. And you're like, "Um, I can't. Uh, We've got so much money out on credit to all of our lenders that I don't have any money to go buy that land. What do you mean you don't have money? What happened to the budget? We were supposed to be setting, well, I didn't do a budget. I didn't set aside that money. Right? If your CEO comes to you and says, hey, we need to go do this, you better be able to go do it or you're going to get fired. You won't have a job anymore. Bad managers can't give. And this isn't just about giving to the church. This is about when your neighbor has something come up and they need help. And you're able to say, hey, I want to give to you. I, I want to give you this money to help you out in your time of need. I can remember there was a time I worked for a church and we only did benevolence, like people call and they need help with their electric bill or they need help with something. And we only did benevolence for church members. And I can remember I got this phone call. The lady uh, called, she's an older lady, she would call about once a week for three weeks. Um, she, I guess she would forget that she would call, but I sensed that there was a genuine need there. I mean, she wasn't a member and so we weren't able to do anything as a church. We had a different avenue for helping those who weren't members at the church. And, and I can just remember thinking, man, I need to I need to do something. I need to, from my own pocket, I need to help this woman. But I couldn't because I was broke. And that feeling sticks with me of knowing that God wanted me to do something and I couldn't do it because I had no money, because I had not managed it well. I had not managed it well. And that is a difficult thing. Now, I don't know if, uh, if you like giving very much, but we've got something that uh, our ushers are going to be passing around some envelopes. I've got a little instruction for us this morning. So what I want you to do is you get these envelopes, you're going to hold on to it, and then we're going to open them all together as the elders and uh, maybe some of our ushers can help pass these out. So 
We're going to hold on to these envelopes, and you're going to be pleasantly surprised, I think, when you open those. All right, going around. That's all right. That's all right. I didn't give you much warning. It's like that red button that says, do not push. You want to push it, but don't open it. All right, has everybody got one? Raise your hand if you don't have one yet. All right, everybody has an envelope. So here's what we're going to do. You can go ahead and open your envelopes. Tell me what's inside. What'd you find? Money. Anybody excited? Did you just get happy? All right, so Stephen gave you ice cream once. I give you money. I don't want to hear about Stephen giving you ice cream anymore. I give you money. It's better than ice cream. You can go buy whatever you want with it. Here's what we're going to do. In just a few minutes, some music's going to start playing. When that music starts, you're going to get up. And you're going to exchange money with whomever you want. And here's three rules. You can give as much or as little as you want. The second rule is this. You cannot refuse a gift from someone. If they come and give you money, you cannot refuse it. And the third rule is this. You can't reciprocate, right? So if Sean right here hands me his $3, I can't turn around and hand him $3 back. All right, I got to go find someone else. I can come back to him later and give it to him. But you can't just sit there and exchange money back and forth. So when we're done... I'm not going to participate. The elders aren't going to participate because that wouldn't be fair. We don't, want, uh, we don't want anybody just going over to the elders and be like, here, put this in the offering for the church. No, no, no. We want you guys to take this money, and we want you to use it outside of the walls, right? So whatever you end up with at the end, that is yours to keep. That's yours to keep, all right? Anybody getting excited now? You get to keep money today? All right, so it's yours to keep. We want you to use it for something good outside of this wall, outside of the walls of this church. So it may be something for your family, someone on your street, uh, someone at work, that you would use it, whatever God gives you, use it to honor him outside of these walls. So we're going to start the money. Remember, you can't refuse a gift, you can't reciprocate, and you can give as much or as little as you want to whomever you want except for me and the elders. On your mark, get set, Go. someone to hand them some money so they can keep playing. 
All right. As everybody makes their way back to their seats, let's talk about this. Who had fun giving away money? Was that fun? All right. Why was it fun? It wasn't your money. Yeah. It was fun to give money away when it's not your money, right? Well, here's the thing. Everything in your bank account, everything in your wallet, everything in your sock drawer, underneath your mattress is not yours. It's not yours. You're not the owner. You ought to be free. And, and we experience joy. Did anybody experience joy giving away money? Let's see. Who, who thinks they ended up with the most? All right. Stand on up there, buddy. Count it out for us. What did you end up with? Oh, man. All right, anybody have more than 21? All right, hey, I can't wait to hear what you do with that money next week. I want to bring a story, all right? Do something good with it. So whatever you ended up with, it's not yours to begin with. It wasn't yours to begin with, so it's easy to give it away. You don't, you, if you ended up with nothing, you haven't lost anything today, right? You haven't lost anything because it wasn't yours to begin with. And here's the thing, that God desires for us to be joyful and generous givers, And when we recognize that what we have is not our own, we can give joyfully and we can give generously. And I'm not just talking about money, but our time, our talents, our treasure, and our testimony. When we recognize that those things are not ours, we can give it away freely. And I want to hit that testimony one one more time because when your life has been changed by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and on the third day he rose again, and you've experienced that, and you have a story to tell of how your life has been changed through faith in Jesus Christ, man, you ought to steward that so well. Manage that so well and give it away as freely and as joyfully as you can as often as you can. Give that away more than you give away anything else. God's desire is for you to experience that joy. We already said this, that that. Giving is something that God wants for you and not from you. And this doesn't mean that you have to go and give everything away. It doesn't mean that. It's okay to have a a nice house. It's okay to have a nice car. It's okay to have a boat or a swimming pool. Those are are okay. You know why? Because you're one of God's children and God loves his children. How many of you want to give your kids good things? God wants to give you good things as well right? He wants you to to enjoy everything that you have given him. But more than that, he desires for you to experience joy when you're generous in all the areas of your life. And the more we recognize that what I have is not my own, the more free we are to be generous. So I want to close this morning by asking you one question. So what? So what? God owns it all, and we're the managers. So what? So what are you going to do about it? What is going to change in your life because you now recognize that you don't own anything? You are just challenged to manage it, and you're charged to manage it for God's sake. As we come to our take two, I want you to just think through that one question. So what? What am I going to do about what God has said through his word this morning? Let's take two.